Hoot 7 proudly brings to you Basketball Hustle, featuring your host, the writer, Chris Pike, and the scoring machine, Sean Reddish. Now it's time for another episode of Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle. That's right, it looks like we're onto a regular thing now, Sean, so we must be doing something right. Um, I'm Chris Pike, your co-host, but let's get straight into it because plenty to talk about coming out of round four of the NBL and now looking ahead to round five that is getting underway shortly. Sean Reddish, my co-host, thanks for coming back for another show. Thanks, Pikey. I'm looking forward to it. Let's get into it. Like I said, plenty to, plenty to talk about. What stood out to you from, from round round four across the league? The Kings are still unbeaten. The Wildcats had a, had a pretty impressive doubleheader win. Melbourne United lost another game, even though they did get on the board. Um, plenty happening at the Illawarra Hawks. The Sydney Kings have announced a replacement for, for Kevin Lish in the short term, which we'll get to. The Perth Wildcats have got their new assistant coach on board. We'll touch on all of that as we go along with the show. But what stood out to you coming out of round four? I just think you're starting to see the top teams and kind of the mid middle of the pack teams start to separate a little bit more. Obviously the Kings undefeated Wildcats going pretty strong at five and one. And then you've got a lot of teams uh, Southeast Melbourne, although the loss to the Wildcats uh, still, still sitting four and one. And then the rest of the pack there is it's going to be interesting next few weeks. You're starting to see some teams make some moves um, obviously, there's been some injuries and, and that type of thing. So I think these next few weeks are going to separate the pretenders from the contenders. And uh, we're going to see a lot of teams, uh, I guess, just fighting to, to stay in contention. Yeah, absolutely. Big show as well here on Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle this week as well, Sean. Three big guests. You caught up with one of them for the fourth quarter on Friday night at RAC Arena. Mitch Creek, fantastic to speak to a guy that has been to the World Cup, played in the NBA, and you had a terrific chat with him. And also, Mitch Norton from the, the Perth Wildcats point guard, obviously started at the Townsville Crocs, then the Laura Hawks, plays his 200th NBL game. It's, it's amazing to consider. He's only 26 years of age and he's already racked up 200 games. And then, an uh, old coach of yours, Sean Dennis, now coaching in Japan in his third season coaching in Japan. He Last season in the NBL, he was the coach of the year at the Townsville Crocs. Um, with those three big-name guests, Sean, what, what stands out to you? Oh, look, I think it's a, a huge show, and, and I think we're pretty privileged to be able to get so many big names onto our show so early. So, um, you know, I think... You're right there with uh, Mitch Norton, 200 games and uh, sitting at only 26. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. One shows his talent. Two shows the respect that the coaches, you know, even a captain at such a young age up there in Townsville. And then um, and then obviously his skill level is um, is right up there. So he's been fantastic for this league, and uh, you know he's got a lot more years to go. So it's kind of scary how many games he could he could be playing by the end of his career. Yeah. Yeah, I spoke to him about it later on. I reckon he's, he could easily have 10 more years left in him. He could. He looked up to Peter Crawford up in Townsville in his early days. He could easily rack up, you know, 400, 450 plus games. Yeah, that's it's definitely uh, doable. And the way he plays as well, he's durable. Um, he plays strong. And uh, you just kind of feel like he, he's going to be a valuable piece to this Wildcat team uh, in the in the near future for sure. Now, thanks to Hoops Heaven for allowing us to be here again, Sean. Let's get into some of the, some of the news. There's plenty to talk about. The latest breaking news, the Sydney Kings. Kevin Lish obviously out for a couple of months with his fractured ankle. Deshaun Taylor, the man who, while they were over in Utah, the Adelaide 36 is cut to bring in Jerome Randall. He's now the man to replace the Kings, and that's hope 
at least for the the sake of drama that he's right to play on Saturday night back in Adelaide because that would be that would be fascinating. Yeah, that would be. Uh, it, it seems to always work out that way. Mm. Whenever you get cut by a team, all of a sudden you, you're you're playing against them pretty quickly. Um, if you do get get a chance back in the league, so great for Deshaun Taylor, kind of get get a chance to really show what he's made of. Um, you know, if you're everyone else in the league, you're thinking Sydney Kings. How much more talent do they need? Mm. I mean, they're already sitting undefeated dominating, especially defensively. But I think one thing that Deshaun Taylor can bring is his shooting, outside shooting, especially with the uh, attention that Andrew Bogut is going to receive in the middle. Absolutely. The Perth Wildcats have also signed their new assistant coach to replace Paul Paul Wolpert. I was... I was probably expecting somebody closer to home and, and maybe maybe somebody in the SBL and maybe somebody like a Matt Parsons or a Nick Lakovich or a or a Ben Etridge or a, a Ryan Petrick or somebody along along those terms or a Stephen Black, but they've gone right to the top. Scott Roth has had it. His resume probably is one that we don't have time to go through on this show. If you want to check out his background, 20-plus years working all around the world as a coach. He was a former NBA player. That's a hell of a signing for the Wildcats. Yeah, well, it's an interesting move from the Wildcats. Cats. Obviously, there would be a, a number of coaches here at home that would be putting their hand up. Um, I think Trevor kind of wants to go with someone probably with a little bit more international experience mm-hmm. and and uh, just reading the resume yeah. is uh, is pretty impressive. So, you know, it's always tough to add an assistant coach in mid-season, especially one that's probably not familiar with the league or with the organization or with the personnel of the team. So um, he'll have to get up to scratch, but I'm sure uh, the Wildcats will have the, I guess, structure in place to kind of get get him fitting pretty quickly. Absolutely. Let's, let's take a look at some of the matches from round four before we, we move on to our, our guest today, today, Sean. Thanks to Hoop7 once again for allowing us to be here. Check them out at hoop7.com.au. All started back on Thursday. 1.9 million people across the world were watching this game. Sean at Spark Arena was a, an amazing atmosphere in Auckland as well. Not a great game. The Breakers beat the Hawks 103-72, to but for that many eyeballs to be on the NBL, it can only be a good thing, but important for the Breakers to get a win, and the, the Hawks obviously continue to struggle, and we'll get to their game on Sunday where their struggles got even worse. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things. Both teams were desperate for a win. New Zealand Breakers obviously being at home really helped them here. And, and Spark Arena, it's uh, it's great to see on a Thursday night mm. to see the, the crowd uh, filling up that stadium. And then obviously back in the U.S., so many people watching the game. It's, it's exciting. And we talk about it every week, but it's pretty impressive. I think about when I came back into the league, they might have – 10 people in the U.S. trying to watch a, a, an NBL game. <laughs> yeah. And that was pretty much family of the players, maybe the import players. And now you've got over almost 2 million people. It's uh, it's exciting times. And I think it's just shown the, the strength of the league. And, uh, you know, I thought that, uh, yeah, it wasn't the best game, but I did think it showed the, the talents of, of R.J. Hampton and LaMelo Ball. And it's great for them to, to get some exposure and some, some court time out there and playing at, at such a high level. He's a number humble level way to start the game too with that huge block from RJ on, on Lomelo when it looked like Lomelo was going to throw it down and, and RJ just came from nowhere to deliver that block. That was that was the perfect way to start the game and, and both both of the, the 18-year-olds put on a, on a pretty good show as the game went on, I thought. Friday night, big doubleheader. Started in Adelaide, pretty tight game. 36 is 101-97 win over the Taipans. Two teams that look like right now they're going to be sort of around the mark to be fighting for that fourth spot come the end of the season. Yeah, Adelaide had a tough start to the year against Sydney, obviously coming back from the USA. 
there were some question marks how are they were going to compete but just knowing Joey Ride he was going to have his team team ready to play and you know they almost gave this game away they were up mm-hmm. big late in the fourth quarter um Cans hit some big shots to get them back in it but they uh you know Daniel Johnson steadied the ship and Adelaide did what what they needed to do at home they got the win and you know I'm I'm just excited about Adelaide and especially their new venue I hope they keep winning and mm-hmm. just can build uh similar to what the Perth Wildcats did here in Perth and just that new arena being in the city and able to uh I guess just attract a whole nother level of fans to build um some momentum for this NBL as well so great start to at home especially for Adelaide uh, this season and second game Friday night you were there courtside for for the TV coverage Sean and you're not an NBL club unless you've copped a hiding in Perth and the Phoenix might as well have got it out of the way. First up, 110-79 to 79 win for the Wildcats. Derrico White and Bryce Cotton, they went for 8 from 11 combined from three-point range. Nick Kay was terrific. Damian Martin gave John John Robertson a lesson as well, who had come to, who came to Perth in amazing form. Just one of those nights to ride off for South East Melbourne, but that happens to everybody in Perth at some stage. Yeah, it does. Yeah, obviously, I think the Wildcats were uh, a bit frustrated with their loss the week before at home to Cairns and almost a little bit embarrassed losing by 23. So they had, they had a point to prove. Um, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, probably the wrong time to visit Perth. Uh, but you got to give the Wildcats credit, especially defensively. You know, I, I was curious to see how Roberson would go against Damian Martin. And, uh, you know, I thought the game plan from the Wildcats w- was terrific and that they just basically denied Roberson the ball all over the court, made made someone else beat him, and uh, they weren't able to. Uh, you know, I, I, listening to to their coach um, in the huddles, it just sounded like, you know, they, they wanted to come out here and test themselves, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix against the Wildcats, but they obviously learned uh, a lot in that. And, uh, you know, it should hold them up well later in the year if they, they do have to face the Wildcats, maybe come finals time or something like that. But it was, uh, you know, impressive performance from the Wildcats. Then on Saturday, Melbourne United finally got their elusive first win of the season. But they had to do it the hard way against the Breakers. They won 104 to 98. Sean Long and Mellow Trimble led the way. Chris Golding, another 20, 24 points. But they had to fight pretty hard for it. Yeah, I thought New Zealand played well, especially in the first half. They were a little bit in control. Melbourne, you know, I think in the in the end, they're probably just talent there. Sean Long um, played played outstanding. Yeah, I think Melo Trimble was, was pretty good in the second half, and um, it was it, it was a good performance by Melbourne. You know, I didn't think it was it was outstanding. You know, I think they definitely do need to improve defensively, but you know, always good to get a get a win and. Uh, especially playing against the Breakers who were playing their second game of the of the mm. round as well. And Sydney Kings, they remain undefeated. 94-79 win against the Bullets and it was probably a game that really wasn't in any jeopardy for, for most of it. A really solid performance at both ends of the floor from the Kings even though Andrew Bogut copped his, his second his second unsportsmanlike foul I think with eight minutes to go in the game. Yeah, and I love the comments by uh, Bogut afterwards saying, uh, you know, he was on, on minutes restriction anyway. <laughs> so, you know, great job by the men in green to uh, provide that uh, little bit extra rest for the uh, the tired legs of, of his after a huge offseason with the Boomers. So a um, little bit of tongue-in-cheek there by Andrew Bogut. But, you know, Sydney just getting it done defensively and, uh, you know, no one's really even challenged them that much so far this season. I'm a little bit concerned with Brisbane. Yeah. Um, they haven't uh, obviously had a good start to the season, but 
Um, they're going to have to try and find some form and, and get that the personnel right as well. I wouldn't be surprised if they make a change down the, down the stretch. Well, there's a lot of talk about it. Do, do you feel like they need a different type of import? I mean, a lot of people seem to think that, that Braun and Singler may be too similar of a, of a player. Do they need somebody that gives them a bit of a different look to what they've got at the moment? Yeah, I do. I do think they need like a foreman that can, you know, be a little bit stronger down there in the post, give them a little bit of a post presence and and just be kind of that, do all that that grunt work that you kind of need someone to be able to do, um, maybe free up their their scores and their and their shooters as well. So uh, I, I expect them that they will make a change because if they're going to have to compete with Sydney and Perth, I think they need uh, they need someone, especially in that four spot that can that can, um, I guess, compete with a Nick Kay mm. and Deshaun Tate and the, those guys, um, Sydney and, and Perth have. How soon do you have to make a move like that? When does it start to become too late? Well, I, I think if you think that it's not the right fit, you got to make it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, you know, and you think Lamontis would know at this stage, you've seen those guys for at least a month or two to know if that if they're going to be the right fit. And, and you know, Andre Lamontis has won championships in this league, so mm-hmm. he knows what what what's needed and required. Obviously, you've got Mika Bacona there that can that can provide some of that that grunt work. I'm not sure if he's 100. Well, percent He's not playing many minutes uh, at the moment. No, nah, no, he's he's not playing many minutes. So I'll be interested to see. I, I expect them to uh, to make a change, and that's where having that third import, you can have a little game early in the season yeah. but then you need to probably go out and find someone if, you, if you're sure that it's not the, the right fit for you then on Sunday really good good performance by Southeast Melbourne to bounce back it's not easy to get to lose by 30 and then two days later and probably only 36 hours later given the time difference and it was a reasonably early start on Sunday to then beat the Adelaide 36ers Mitch Creek up against his his old team he bounced back and had a had a better performance Adam Gibson was probably the difference especially at a, at a point there where he just couldn't miss to, to get the Phoenix back into the game after Adelaide was I think up by 13 during the second quarter and, and John Robertson was back in form hitting six three-pointers as well and they got the job done against Adelaide and Daniel Johnson who was playing his 300th NBL game. Yeah, it was a good good performance. Um, Robertson was outstanding again from the three-point line outside of that Perth game. He's yep. been a dynamite um, from from distance. So it's, uh, you know, Southeast Melbourne, they got nine of their first 10 games mm. either at home or in Melbourne. Yep. So it's a pretty uh, dream start for a, a new club to play so many games at home. So, it, they, you know, they're going to have to get some wins on the board, I think, early on, and, and they're doing it. So credit to them and a good job of bouncing back. Then the second game on Sunday, the game that was given our tips last week, it got the biggest reaction from our audience so far when some of the Red Army fans didn't like you tipping against the Wildcats, Sean, but the Hawks put in a pretty good performance. The Wildcats did end up winning 81-76, to 76, but you, su- you suggest if Josh Boone played and if Aaron Brooks didn't go down with his now what could be a career-ending Achilles injury, then it, the result could have been different because outside of Bryce Cotton, Nick Kay and Tariko White, the Wildcats didn't didn't probably have their best best afternoon yeah, I just know personally that trip is tough to Illawarra, especially yeah. playing on a Friday at home, going to Sunday. And I knew Illawarra. I mean, the difference of talent in this league isn't that that big. I mean, Illawarra sitting bottom of the of the ladder is not that much less talented than the Perth Wildcats. They just probably haven't figured out the cohesion. But I knew that if they were going to come out motivated and probably, yeah, you're right. If the ball was in Aaron Brooks's hands at the end of the game, I feel like they probably would have had a lot better shot to yeah. win that one. Um, some questionable decisions 
um, from LaMelo and, and shot selection. And it's something that he's going to have to grow into. Um, I thought Illawarra played well, especially in the first I mean, first quarter, putting up over 30 points yeah. against the Wildcats and then finishing 76 for the game. So they just got to find that consistency over four quarters. But, uh, you know, as the Wildcats tend to do, they found a way to win. Mm-hmm. And, and Bryce Cotton and Tariqa White made some big plays down the yeah. stretch. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see Aaron Brooks again because he had the ability to be the league scorer in this league. And it would have been exciting to watch him for this whole season. And I guess there's now conjecture over whether or not Josh Boone is going to stick around in, in Illawarra for the rest of the season either. They obviously need to replace Brooks. They may end up replacing Boone. What would you be doing if you were the Hawks right now? Yeah, it's a, it, it is a tough one. Um, you know, you've got to go and get the best player. I think you need someone like a Brooks that you can, you can trust to um, put the ball in the hands, especially late in the game. That's got experience that can kind of be that, I guess, calming factor out there on the court for, for the team to be able to get the wins. You know, I think LaMelo Ball is putting up some incredible numbers for mm-hmm. an 18 year old. Um, they just got to find a, that closer that can, that can really um, get the job done down the stretch. And, you know, you look at a Tim Conrad that started the game. He was on fire against yeah. the Wildcats. Um, and then he hardly touched the ball that much. I mean, he got a few buckets um, down, I guess, late in the fourth quarter, you know, but nothing like they were going to go run some mm-hmm. some three-pointers and, and get some shots for him. And that, that's where I just think some experience from that will help, yeah. um, especially when you got a guy that can really catch fire like like Conrad can at times. So it's, uh, you know, trying to go get a veteran uh, point guard leader that can really kind of kind of settle the ship. And then, you know, I think Ogilvy's playing some pretty good basketball. Yeah, Maybe you get a 4-5 uh, guy that can really uh, – I guess play more that four spot, you know, kind of like a Nick K that's kind of versatile and can shoot the three, but play down low as well. Maybe Brian Conklin would be a good fit to come back. He's just, he's the, he fits that description pretty perfectly. Yeah, no, I mean, he knows the system. He knows the league. Um, I'm not sure is he, if he's playing anywhere at the moment. I think he's but in I'm, I'm somewhere, sure. yeah. Yeah, um, so it's going to be hard. And that's, that's the tough part at this point, you know. You've got a lot of guys who – are already signed yeah. over in Europe. You know, if they, they maybe they wanted to come to the NBL, but they they've signed over in Europe, so they've already got jobs. So it, it's a tough one to find a, a quality player. And even you know, you used to be able to go to the G League and mm. and find find players, but now with the fact that these guys can get pulled up to the NBA from the G League, yeah, you know, it, it makes it, yeah, it makes it more enticing. And there's a big buyout as well with the G League yeah. um, as well. I think it's like $30,000 or something. I'm not, don't quote me exactly yeah. on the, on the number, but it's, it's not anything cheap. No, not that, something that a club uh, that like you, the Hawks would be able to do at this point, especially given where they are in the season where you think that playoffs are probably out of reach already. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I wouldn't say playoffs are out of reach, but they got to go on a uh, they got to go on a run, and they got to go on a run pretty quickly. So sure. it's a it, it is a tough one when you got injuries to guys um, so important to yourself to your success like they have this early part of the season. Last game of the round up in Cairns, their first home game since since the second second night of the season. So they'd been on the road for a long time. Um, they did a good job to beat beat Melbourne United 90 to 85. Nate Jawai gave some some terrific minutes. Cam Oliver probably didn't shoot the ball in the first half as well as he has been, but ended up putting up another strong double-double. And Scott Machado probably had the better of his, his point guard battle with Melo Trimble, even though Trimble still had 21 points. And even though Sean Long had 21 and 17 for Melbourne, they couldn't get the job done and they slipped to they slipped to one and four. It's a it's a long road back from there. 
It is. It's a tough start. And it's just like you look at the box score after Melbourne United's games and you think Sean Long, 21 and 17. Melo Trimble, you know, 21 points. Yep. And you're just like, how are these how are they losing when they, these superstars are putting up huge numbers? But it, it just seems like it's not clicking yet. You know, they haven't figured out a way to get Melo and Golding and Sean Long all going at the same time. And then Barlow usually, you know, chips in and, and can provide some some offense. And then Mitch McCarron as well. So, you know, is Casey Prather going to be able to bring that form? Possibly. We know, you know, he he's had a lot of success in this league and, and is a proven winner. So we'll see. How, and how long is he out for yeah, as well? Um, you know, it, it seems like it's uh, – we haven't heard a lot of updates about where he's at and when he when he's due to return. So, but I know for Melbourne United fans, they're going to want him back on the court ASAP. Try and, and steady this ship because you know one and four, they're going to have to uh, you know and you know they have the talent. It's just a matter of and I, and I suspect Dean Bickerman will get them. You know, even the year they won it, they started five and five and yeah. then rallied off. So maybe this is just that uh, those growing pains are going through early in the season, but they're going to have to uh, get some get some runs on the board quickly. Just touching on Prather, in hindsight, if you knew that he was going to be out for at least the first five rounds, would have you replaced him with somebody short term? And when he when he comes back, how long will it take him to, to be able to get back to his best and to also fit into the system to make sure that there's no growing pains? Because when you want and fall, you don't have you don't have a bunch of room for error. Yeah, you don't. And uh, I suspect that they didn't know he was going to be out this long. And and looking at their roster, you know, the build of bringing a guy like Mitch McCarron probably that would probably be on the bench to start the year is a pr- pretty good replacement for him. But they've just got a, you know, it just makes their bench uh, a pretty short bench as well as far as production there. So it's it'll be interesting. It'll probably have to, you know, if they they need to make a replacement, they'll probably need to do that pretty soon for Prather, depending on how much longer until he comes back. Thanks for that wrapping round four to Hoops Heaven, and and thanks Sean for all of your insight. We'll now head into our our interviews. Just just in a few words on each, what are you looking forward to hearing from from Mitch Norton first of all, then Sean Dennis, former assistant. Coach of yours, and you had a chat with Mitch Creek as well in the fourth quarter. What can we look forward to from that? Yeah, Mitch Norton, obviously, you know, he's got a lot of experience for being so young and, you know, being in Townsville, Illawarra, coming over to Perth. It'll be interesting to see just his his take on those those different environments and, and I guess where he's at in his stage of his basketball as well and, and some of the goals he's looking forward to in the future. Sean Dennis obviously done uh, some outstanding work here here in the NBL, was coach of the year. I thought he was incredible up there in Townsville with, with you know, limited resources to be able to produce um, what he did up there and, and probably one of those guys that I think will get a chance back in the NBL if that's something that he wants um, in the future. And I guess just interested to see his, his experience over in Japan and, yeah. and Mitch Creek. Um, you know, we talk about his his NBA experience last year and and some of the things he learned from that. So I think there's uh, some a lot to uh, look forward to the rest of the episode. Before we get to Mitch Norton in our first first interview of this week's Hoops Heaven's basketball hustle, as you can tell by our name, we wouldn't be here without the support of Hoops Heaven. They've been there since the start of this podcast, Sean, and they've been around themselves since 2012. You can check out their store. Murray Street in the Perth City if you're in Perth. But hoop7.com.au, all of the basketball gear you could ever hope for 
jerseys, tracksuits, pants, shorts, shoes, everything you could ever dream of. Check them out also for all of their latest deals, some terrific bargains throughout the last week. Hoop7 on Facebook, Hoop7AU on Instagram, everything from Nike, Jordan, Adidas, latest Mitchell and Ness gear, New Era, all the latest sporting basketball gear and balls that you can hope for, first ever NBL gear. Some of the things that stood out to me this week, Sean, a hoodie sale. If you want to get a hoodie of your latest and dearest NBA team, fifty dollars for a terrific hoodie. Some shoes that really stood out too. If you need, if you need some kicks right now, there's some Nike LeBron Witness four shoes, size seven to fifteen. You can't help but not be impressed by those. There's a Nike Kyrie Flytrap two pair of shoes which are a standout. If you're an Adidas fan. There's the Dame 5 Collegiate Purple Shoes, which you you would find hard to say no to. The ones that stood out to me, the T-Mac Millennium Toronto Raptors Shoes. I'm going to find it very tough to avoid buying those, even though I'm not a Raptors fan, but they stood out to me. So, Hoops 7, you can check them out in Perth City yourself. Order online at hoops7.com.au. Mention Hoops 7's Basketball Hustle, and Jason and his team will do you a terrific deal. And Hoops 7, thanks again for all your support. Now, first guest on Hoop 7's Basketball Hustle for Episode 5, Mitch Norton, Perth Wildcats Championship winning point guard, former Townsville Crocodiles captain, um, youngest ever captain of the Crocs. He grew up supporting the Crocs, grew up dreaming of playing for the Crocs. He achieved that dream and, and did it for more than 100 games before. Well, he had his club snatched away from him when they ceased to exist after that 2015-16 season. It didn't deter him. He landed at the Illawarra Hawks, had two terrific seasons, and now he's in his second season at the Perth Wildcats. He's freshly shaven, which has caused a lot of a lot of interest across the, the league over the past couple of weeks as well. But ahead of his 200th game in the NBL this Friday night against the Brisbane Bullets, as the Wildcats hit the road, I was able to catch up with, with Mitch, and let's hope you enjoy the chat that followed. Mitch Norton, thanks very much for joining us here on Hoop 7's Basketball Hustle. Um, unfortunately, you don't quite get to talk to, to Sean Redditch um, on our show this week. Obviously, he's our, he's our co-host here. Um, you yeah. didn't quite get to play with Sean. What are your, what are your memories of, of those battles against him? Probably especially when you're in those early Townsville days and, and obviously the, those couple of years at, at the Hawks too. Yeah, um, obviously, um, great competitor. Um, yeah, you know, he was hungry to win and I think that, you know, showed with the, the results that he got over his career and, um, yeah, you just knew every time you crossed that white line uh, against Sean, it was going to be a, a real battle, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, it was pretty cool to, to play against him for a number of years. Now, let's move on to you. Uh, big week for you, 200 games in the NBL. I remember speaking speaking to you for your 100th game when you were up in Townsville and obviously it's a, it's a different world now that... You know, you've moved on to on to Perth, and unfortunately, the Crocs are, are no longer in existence. A lot's changed in these last hundred games. You're now a now a championship winner. You're a gold medal winner from from the Commonwealth Games. Can you reflect on what's changed in in your life, and and I guess in terms of the NBL over these over these games, one hundred to two hundred? Yeah, um, obviously, um, you know, the hometown team. Um, you know, growing up supporting the Crocs and things like that to then play 100 games and that 100th game was actually a pretty special one uh, we were in Melbourne and we were down a lot of troops uh, we brought Harry right, Bowen yeah. on the boat um, and it was the first game I captained the club too so it was uh, it was a pretty memorable one and, and we got the win on the road which was also pretty uh, special but um, yeah obviously the, the next 100 um, have 
yeah, there's been a lot of changes. Um, I mean, for me personally, obviously, a few different clubs, uh, which, you know, I'd like to hopefully hang around here for a while. So, um, I don't like to chop and change clubs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one of them were, um, it had to be done, uh, with the cross folding and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, obviously, the championship, uh, was very, very special. And then that's what you play the game for is to, you know, have that feeling, that winning feeling with the, you know, 10 of your best mates. So, it's, uh, it, that was probably one of the biggest highlights, um, of the, I guess, the last hundred. Um, yeah. but yeah, as far as the league, uh, I think it's, it's grown so, so much. Obviously, an extra team now, but just as far as the fan base and, and, um, you know, the access to watch games and things like that now, I think Larry's done a tremendous job. Just going back to that, I guess that whole season, that last season at the Crocs, it was a it was a fascinating one in a lot of ways, and I I was involved in the club in, in a small way as well, so I got to probably experience it, you know, pretty closely and working with with SD, who we've actually spoken to this week on the on the show show as well, which was which was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you became the captain in probably not the circumstances you like, but to captain the club that you grew up always dreaming of playing for must have been a been a huge honour. But it was just such a roller coaster ride because it was it looked like a fun team to be part of, but then then it was ripped away from you at the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we had a pretty young core. Uh, although we were young, we also had some experience at times as well. So that was a it was a bit of a mixed. You know, everyone was like, oh, this team's so young, so young. But, you know, we had a number of games under our belt, so we didn't really hold that as, as an excuse for any results or anything like that. So um, it was a great group to be a part of. We all wanted the same goal. And, uh, you know, we probably thought the championship was probably a little bit out of reach at, at that stage. Um, but we really thought that we were building towards something pretty special. And uh, I think if we had held that group together for a while, I think uh, the results definitely would have shown. Yeah, absolutely. Um, initially, the move to Illawarra—it's pr- it's probably the most similar city in the league, in t- you know, compared to Townsville, and similar setup in terms of a small town, small club environment. Um, how did you find your two years at, at the Hawks? Yeah, obviously, um, you know, a big change as far as lifestyle. Um, you know, there's ways that you can actually. Well, there's first off, there's actually ways <laughs> we don't get there in Townsville, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was a pretty cool environment to be in. Um, obviously, our first year we were pretty successful, and you know made it to the grand final against Perth. So uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I think you know it's a different coach. Uh, although SD had spent a lot of time with Bevo, I think just the whole you know really let you go out and play kind of helped me in a way that I was able to kind of grow uh, my game and and help me out to to learn a lot of things along the way as well. So um, yeah, really grateful to obviously be coached by Bevo and. That whole freedom side of thing, I think, really helped me. Um, mm. As far as yeah, things I need to work on and things that I that I'm comfortable with in my game at the moment. So um, yeah, it was it was a pretty big change, but at the same time, uh, you know, I'm guessing it, it was really a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. What's it? What's it? What has it been like now to come to Perth? Where I guess when you at the Crocs and you're at the Hawks, you're you're not blessed for resources and and you, you probably have to do a lot of things as a playing group for yourselves that you now don't have to do at the Wildcats. How different is it to be a player at a big club like the Wildcats compared to what you had been used to, I guess, for your first you know, 150 or so games? Yeah, I think um, 
just the I think the access to coaching staff, um, you know, on days off and things like that. Um, you know, able to go in and rebound for you and mm. stuff like that. And obviously at the smaller club, uh, you don't have as many, you know, coaching staff willing to cut up tape and things like that. So I know in Townsville and Wollongong, obviously, you know, they would love to get yeah. out of the get out of the office and come help rebound, but, you know, we obviously had to cut tape and, and things like that. And I think, you know, the coaches were were, you know, working extremely hard um, to do that stuff. And really, you know, as a coach, you want to be out on the floor with your guys and things like that, but just some circumstances just kind of didn't allow that. So I think that's probably been the biggest uh, difference from, you know, off the top of my head. And, um, yeah, just being in an environment where everyone, um, you know, is continually trying to get better, uh, I think is, is pretty special as well. What about going back to the grand final series? last season how were you always confident you would be able to make it back from that injury and how proud were you that you not only made it back but you ended up making a, a pretty significant impact on on the team winning the championship in the end yeah um yeah i always when i first did the injury i was a little bit concerned mm. um and i'm a very goal orientated guy so i like to have plans in place and things like that and i think uh the support staff did a really good job with helping me um, to understand, you know, week by week where I need to be at to to get back for not only the grand final but you know the semi final as well. So um, yeah, we had a bit of a checklist, and you know, once I tick one thing off, I knew I could go on to the next uh, step, and I think that really helped me to stay focused and and motivated on my rehab and things like that to get back and and uh, play in the playoffs. And mm. um, I think if, if the Brisbane game had to go on to game three, I was a pretty good shot at, at playing that one. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, obviously game three didn't come around yeah. and, and uh, the guys did a great job of buying me an extra couple of days. So, um, yeah, and then to come in the grand final, um, I think the injury, you know, obviously uh, was pretty painful to sit there and watch those last couple of games of the season and the playoffs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it really just allowed me just to sit down and watch a lot of tape on us and and other teams as well, and I think that kind of that kind of helped me uh, in that final series. What about the start of this season? You'd have to be happy with the way you're going, both as a team and, and personally. I think if you ask any opposition guards around the league, they hate playing the Wildcats because they don't like being guarded by both Damien Martin and then when he's not on the floor by, by you. I guess that's a, a great compliment to you. But you're doing well the offensive end as well. You, you'd have to be happy with the way you've started this season. Yeah, I think. Offensively, uh, you know, there's been a couple of games where I probably haven't been as aggressive uh, straight off the bat, and I know, um, you know, Trev and, and my teammates as well kind of really encourage that. So it's always good when you have a team that uh, you know wants you to be aggressive on the offensive end. Um, you know, they know what you're going to bring defensively every night. So yeah, to have that, you know, encouragement from the guys is, is great, and obviously. Um, Shooting the ball at the moment, obviously everyone would like to shoot the ball a bit better at times. But uh, yeah, you know, I know the work that I'm putting in off the court, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm comfortable with my you know my shots at the moment. And um, I know there's going to be a game this year where it's, where it's all going to turn around. And and um, I think when that does, I think you know I'll be a little bit tougher to guard on the offensive yeah. end. And yeah, and obviously defensively, it's pretty cool to be a part of you know the little duo that we got going <laughs> here with Damo. Um, you know, back in the day, I remember playing against, you know, Brad Robbins yeah. and Damo, and that was always a scary fight. So um, that's something that we kind of 
you know, wanted to replicate. The thing you've always been so good at from from game one right through now to, to game 200 is when you attack the basket, you can you can finish from some incredible positions. It looks like you're horribly out of position. It looks like you're chucking up a bad shot, but you just find a way to get the ball in the hole if you're if you're ch- if you're chucking up close to the basket. Is that something that is it something that's luck? Is it something you've always been good at? Is it something you work on? How do you how do you what do you put that down to? Um, I think it's something that that you know come over time. Hmm. Um, obviously, when I in my younger days, uh, I was a lot quicker than you know a lot of the other guards and, and teams. So um, yeah, that's kind of where I where I earned all my points were, were in the paint, you know, going up against some taller guys and things like that. But um, yeah, once you you figure out how to learn, um, you know, how to use your body at certain angles and things like that, um, playing off two feet, one foot. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's all about kind of reading uh, angles and where the defense is and, and how to put your body in position to uh, to get off that shot. Because obviously, yeah, you know, I'm not I'm blessed with a lot of height, so uh, yeah, I got to use my strength. Now the beard, it caused a huge a huge amount of interest when you shaved your beard off. Do you plan on keeping it off, or is it coming back? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I put a post up on social media and it was like a. 56 people voted for the beard, 155 people voted for no beard. Wow. So it's uh, it can't get any closer than that. So it just depends how lazy I guess I get. I guess so. Uh, with these couple of road trips coming up, <laughs> um, yeah, I might try to keep it short. Who knows? Um, just finally, before we we let you go, really appreciate you joining us. Becoming a 200 game player in the NBL when I'm sure you still feel like you're pretty young and you are pretty young in a lot of ways you could easily have 10 years left in the league which is remarkable to think of what does becoming a 200 game player mean to you? Yeah it's obviously um, yeah it's pretty special I've got goosebumps thinking about it right now Mm. Um, yeah you know to be 26 and rack up 200 games you know as a professional in any sport is uh, is a great achievement and you know I, I just think it's you know a bit of a reward for you know all the hard work that I put in and Obviously, I've got a lot of coaches and strength staff and all that stuff I need to thank as well. But, you know, probably don't have time today. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it means a hell of a lot. And I remember, you know, my first couple of games, you know, PC was getting, you know, 250 games awards and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, man, like, that's incredible to play, <laughs> you know, that many games and, and things like that. So it's, uh, it's very special. And, yeah, you know, I just hope we can go out and get a win on Friday night. Absolutely. Um, we could keep chatting forever, Mitch, but I'll, I better let you go because you do need to get over to, to Brisbane for that so you can play that 200th game. But, yeah, I've always followed your career closely, as you know, and it's always been a pleasure to chat to you and to, to just share your journey a little bit. So best of luck for the 200th game and, and for plenty more after that. Lovely. Thank you very much, mate. Let's keep things moving here on Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle. And our next guest, the flashback interview of the week, thanks to ID Athletic, is Sean Dennis, a man that anyone involved in Australian basketball in some way would be familiar with over the last 30 years. It started with a 197-game career, split between the Newcastle Falcons and the Hobart Devils, and then he moved straight into coaching. Started while he was still playing at the Newcastle Falcons. He ended up head coaching at the Falcons between 1997 and 1999 before... Which would become a similar story over the next 10 years. His club was taken away from him, but had a couple of years assistant coaching at the Wollongong Hawks, 
And then he found himself over in, in New Zealand and had a terrific stint with the Hawks Bay Hawks for, for seven seasons, ended up coaching the New Zealand women's team for a couple of years, and he really built his coaching legacy over in New Zealand. But there was a pull to come back to to Australia, and he ended up firstly with a stint again with Rob Beveridge at the West Sydney Razorbacks and the Sydney Spirit. And then a couple of years later, he joined Bevo over in Perth at the Perth Wildcats, which is where he would remain until he was appointed head coach of the Townsville Crocodiles and didn't have the resources to work with. And it was it was tough going in the first couple of years, but anyone that was around that 2015-16 Crocs team, they, they just played with a lot of heart. You have a look at the guys that have gone on to bigger things since, and that includes Mitch Dorton, Nick Kay, Clint Steindl, even Harry Froling, Mirko Jerick, who's now back in the league as well with the Taipans, and, and Sean Dennis was coach of the year that year it's not often that you could be the NBL coach of the year and then that ends up being your last season coaching but unfortunately he had no team to coach at the end of that season despite having re-signed with the Crocs and since then life has taken him and his wife Lani to Japan and now he's in his third season coaching the Shiga Lake Stars and gee it's a fascinating chat anytime you get to sit down with SD and to talk basketball to talk life to talk the ups and downs of it all I just could have spoken to him for hours but obviously we don't quite have the length on this show to do that but let's hope you enjoyed the chat that I did have with him starting now Back here on Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle and very happy to have this man as a guest. I've known him for well more than 10 years now from when he first arrived at Perth and never never have I probably respected a man more in basketball for for, for just just calling it the way it is. There's no bullshit about about this man, but he's a fantastic basketball brain, but but more than that he's a he's a terrific person. He he can be hard as nails in terms of his basketball, but he's he's tactically as switched on as anybody. A great a great players coach as well if you ask anybody who's played under him, but also Get him away from basketball and you wouldn't find a better man. So, Sean Dennis, all the way from Japan, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Mike. You've made me sound like a superstar there. I'm not sure how true all that is, but I appreciate your kind words. No, wouldn't say it if it's not true, SD. Um, like I said, you're coming to us from Japan, a long way from where a lot of your career has been in the, involved in the NBL. Obviously, it's remarkable to think that you were NBL Coach of the Year only only three and a bit years ago in Townsville, and all of a sudden you didn't have a team to coach. But it seems like you've landed on your feet. How's, how's life in Japan treating you? It's good, you know, it, it has a completely different challenges uh, than, than coaching in Australia and it takes a bit of adjusting and, and getting used to, um, obviously, the number one thing that you, you face is constantly the language barrier and trying to get your message across and, uh, you know, coming up with ways to be able to communicate and I think it's actually made me a, a better coach and a calmer coach, you know, I think people would be surprised watching me on the sidelines now compared to what I call passionate, some call anger on the sidelines when I was with Townsville, but... Um, you know, Lani and I are loving it here and, you know, we're really selling into the lifestyle and, uh, you know, it- there's a lot to love about living in Japan and uh, you know, as I said the, the biggest one I've loved is the challenging challenges that coaching throws you and, and the, the personal growth that I've had has been a lot of fun. Just in terms of coaching, you're in your third season now coaching the, the, the Shiga Lake Stars we we talked about it before we started recording and it's a 60 game season you're playing, it's almost an NBA schedule you're 10 games yeah. into the season so far, third season at the club how, how are things going so far? ironic that um, you know it's very similar to when I went to Townsville you know the club is not one of the bigger clubs from a monetary point of view and, and that's one thing in Japan the, the gulf between the haves and the have nots is absolutely huge mm. you know the, the top 10 is probably spending three to four times the amount we spend so mm-hmm. 
we've tried to build it like we did in Japan, um, but the danger in doing that is also uh, we have uh, we're based on the English Premier League, so there's a relegation and yep. promotion from first division to second division. So you've got to be careful while you're trying to build that. You don't end up in that bottom four, and um, we, we feel we've put together you know our best roster, and uh, it, it's just like in the third year of Townsville, a good good mix of young players and, and some and some veterans, and you know, they're learning to play together, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun coming to practice when we can practice because as you said 60 games mm-hmm. and we've just played 10 games in October and had a stretch where we played 8 games in uh, 13 days uh, sorry 17 days yeah. so you know, it's very difficult to practice too much, and uh, but it's fun working with this group and watching some of these younger players starting to grow, and, and that's why I say it just reminds me of what we, we were starting to achieve in Townsville before it unfortunately had to you know, close the doors, and I've always felt coming here that that's what we'd have to do, because again, you can't just go out and, you know, we, we can't do what Perth did, just go and get a Nick Kay who's ready to be the player he is yeah. now, so we've got to try and build that and then try and retain it, and you know, we've got some really good young kids coming on Talk about what it's like living living in Japan. What what's the challenges coaching wise? Obviously, the language is one thing, and I assume you've got an interpreter who's who's very close by your side. But what's the different challenges coaching in Japan, where you've not only got the language barrier, but the, there's a culture difference as well that's that's natural compared to when you're coaching in your in your home home country. You know, one thing, uh, you know, with, with uh, the local players, they don't, they really, it takes, you've got to really approach a different way in how you evaluate them. Most of them don't take uh, being yelled at very mm. well or, you know, being, being I guess, almost uh, put in front of, a, you know, pointed out in, in, in situations where, you know, they've made a mistake in front of the whole group, but they struggle with that side of it. So you've got to come up with different ways to evaluate Critically evaluate the players. Um, you know, they, they because they can't understand me. If I if I get too, well, I call as I said, I call it passionate. Mm-hmm. I get too passionate in the way I uh, converse with people. Um, they they take it that I'm I'm angry, and that's yep. really difficult here with the referees. And I think a lot of people in Australia would be amazed that who know me and know what I'm like on the sidelines at times would be amazed at how much calmer I am now on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. So it's just been great growth for me to become a calmer coach because um, the, the referees, uh, you know, they don't understand me. So, you know, I got I got two tech fouls last year for cheering for my team um, <laughs> because the referee thought I was talking to them because they didn't understand me. And then when he explained it to his interpreter, it's like, oh, you know, and twice they said, sorry, I'm like, yeah, that's great. You know, it just cost me 10,000 yen fine for something oh, I just didn't do. So, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's a big one. And, and the players are really different you know they're um, they as I said they're, they're very scared to make mistakes and, and so you've got to try and encourage them to it's okay to try things you know it doesn't if, if you know there's positive mistakes you know and, and mistakes not a mistake if you learn and that was always our philosophy in Townsville and yeah. it's what I'm trying to teach the team here it's okay to try things you know don't hang your head or you know and that, that's really difficult for some of them because if they miss a couple of shots they'll just shut up shop they, they'll stop shooting and you've got to try and encourage. I've got a great shooter here who's, uh, you know, he's, every game he comes off with scratches on his body and it's taken, mm. it took me a long time to get him to realise it's okay if you miss shots, you've got to keep shooting. You're too good a shooter. And uh, yeah, it's been a real challenge. And, uh, you know, the players are different in that, uh, you know, we, most of the Americans in this league are, are big. Uh, there's very little size in the, in the Japanese players. And uh, so some of the way you... you Constructs your defenses. You have to be careful because you can end up with a 
you know, five nine or five ten, you know, you know, hundred and seventy five to hundred and eighty centimetre guy on a on a centre on a rotation and you know, it's just it's you just get killed on it. So all those sorts of things come into what you do. Polianari's recently made the move to Japan as well, having having stepped down as Tall Blacks coach and, and and from his role at Melbourne United. Is there many other foreigners involved in basketball in Japan aside from the obvious obvious imports? Um, yeah, there's a few. There's a few, you know, and, and Paulie and I have touched base, and uh, you know, you'll be coaching a team in the second division that's very serious about trying to get into the first division. Yeah. So it's a good opportunity for him. Um, there is a number of co- uh, foreign coaches. I, I think the big thing that's happening in Japan over the last three years, and it's really on the up and up, has been you know, how I ended up here is by doing a coaches' clinic after the Townsville situation, and. It, it, Every coach has to be licensed in the league here, mm-hmm. and so everyone has to go through an education process. And, and there's been a, a market improvement in the play of, of a lot of the local players and the national program. You know, I'm not sure if people of Australia understand that when Japan got the Olympics, um, the Japanese national team was told they wouldn't be in the Olympics; they weren't good enough, and they mm-hmm. had to. They had to. Their first step was to make the World Cup, yep. um, and if they made the World Cup, that would guarantee them their spot in the Olympics. And they. they Revamped everything. And they streamlined their national their national leagues. They had two different national leagues going on. And now it's only one with separate divisions. They revamped their whole national program. So the education of basketball education has been fantastic. And then every year they bring in foreign coaches to run these clinics. And so the, the level of play is lifting because the level of co- the coaching standards is lifting. And that, that's been fantastic. And, and there's also, you know, the three championships, the B League's only officially been going for three years. And the, the three championships have been won by foreign coaches, mm-hmm. two foreign coaches. So the team I was with the first year I was here in Tochigi, who are now called Utsunomiya, and, and uh, Alba Tokyo, who have a Serbian coach, who ironically was also with me at the first, very first uh, B League cl- uh, coaches clinic. Mm-hmm. So we're both now head coaches in the league. So, uh, you know, there, there's a good sprinkling of of foreign head coaches which is bringing a different look to the league in, in both first division and second division and third division and uh, it's really helping improve the standard of, of the play and also the standard of coaching what about life for you as well um, you're not quite living in the centre of Tokyo so I imagine where you're living it creates some some challenges because they're probably not used to used to Westerners Westerners where you, where you are and I'm sure it has some some language barriers which makes life difficult for you at the moment. What's life like for for you and and your wife Lani where where you're living at the moment? Well, we live uh, in a place called Otsu, which is on Lake Biwa, which is uh, the biggest lake in Japan. It's called the Mother Lake, and it's mm-hmm. you know when you stand on the edge of it and look up the lake. It's like an ocean. It's huge. Mm. I think it's I think it's around about a kilometre deep in the middle. You know, the wow. deepest point. So it's a massive lake, and it's a ten minutes rain ride outside of Kyoto. But you go through a tunnel. Uh, so there's a mountain range dividing Kyoto and uh, Shiga. And basically, you when you leave Kyoto, which it has a lot of foreigners and, and you know quite a large city, and then you know to itself is quite large. I think it's about five hundred thousand people. So you know it's not small, mm. and uh, it's it's a different world. And uh, you know we can you know outside of obviously seeing you know our imports uh, at practice, uh, Lani and I can you can go up to a month without seeing another foreign person, Mm. and so and where we live is virtually zero English spoken by the locals. It's very very rarely come across somebody who can speak any English. So you, know, you learn to get by with different phrases and uh, you know, learning to really mastering the language really well. So 
that's really helping us uh, to be able to talk to people and, and live. I mean, the lifestyle itself is really good. Mm-hmm. And you know, interestingly, in Australia, you know, living near the train station would be seen as a bad thing. But in Japan, if you get a place near a train station, mm-hmm. it's, it's gold. And so we're lucky enough to live within about five minutes walk of two train stations so we can jump on the train anytime go to Kyoto which is pretty cool um, and get on the local line here and go to different places because one thing you know really good in Japan is the, the different the types of food that you can eat and, mm-hmm. and the restaurants you can visit and you know it's uh, that part of the lifestyle is really cool and, and we love it a lot I guess because you get to go and work with a basketball team every day you naturally probably fit in with the with the community a little bit a little bit easier. How has Lani found that found that transition where she probably felt deservedly so probably very alone to start with, but has she built a pretty good network network herself? his wife when mm. Alvesto actually coached this team uh, about five or six years ago I think. And, and I know his wife it was very difficult and it's very difficult on your wife um, because you can't just go out and you know it's difficult to meet people and uh, you know it's 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 funny and, and initially um, when you try people in you know, some people in Japan you can be taken the wrong way as, as being perhaps a little racist but because they can't speak English and, and it's not like you can simply work it out between English mm. and Japanese um, they've, they've become very standoffish, you know, yeah. we've been turned away from restaurants because they just know they're not going to be able to communicate with us, so yeah. they literally just cross their arms, which means, no, no, sorry, uh, and, and initially you, you take offence to it, but then you realise that it's just because they know they can't talk to you, yeah. and and now that Lani can speak a little bit, we can go into different restaurants or different shops, and the moment she speaks, you can just feel the tension just disappear from the room, and, and they're amazingly polite and helpful, and you know, it's just awesome. Uh, so we're both getting better. And as Lani's uh, been studying full-time Japanese and she's really, you know, she teaches English um, as well. So um, she's starting to really settle in. And, you know, it's interesting. We are just talking about last night. We just moved down the apartment into a house here in, uh, in, in Otsu. And it's it's really, really nice house for, you know, because a lot of the houses in Japan are quite small. This is mm. uh, a, a little bit more space. And, uh, you know, we, we're actually really settled here and really loving it. And uh, so that part of it now, we're, we're starting to find it. Only because she can now go into shops even on her own, and she's getting more and more confident and comfortable. And, and, and the locals are really starting. Obviously, now people are starting to know who I am because, as we said, as a foreigner and, and living in a small town, it, you you stick out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. So people are starting to understand who we are and, mm. and really welcoming. And it's 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 become a fantastic lifestyle. Yeah, it's an amazing culture. I spent when I was younger, probably two months in Japan. I went with my dad, and because I was a little white kid with blonde hair, I was. I, I like 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 you said, you you stand out a fair bit, and everyone was kind of fascinated just by what they were seeing. But they really just embrace you as well. And sometimes there's that natural cult, culture barrier where you it's difficult to communicate. Yeah. But gee, that once they are willing to to open themselves up to you, it's an it's an amazing country to to be part of. Sure is, it sure is. Going into your third year now in Japan. Um, do you see yourself being willing to stay there long term? Obviously, three years is already, you know, pretty long term. But could you see yourself? You never know what will happen in basketball. But could you see yourself start staying there for a long time? 
for sure, for sure. You know, it's um, as you said, it's a comfortable lifestyle, and, and, and the passport in Japan is really, really growing at a rapid rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and particularly now with Rui Hachimura and uh, Ita Watanabe uh, mm-hmm. playing in the NBA, and there's another young player, Yudai Barber, you know, mm-hmm. who I would describe as a young Mitch Creek, mm-hmm. you know, plays downhill a lot, who's uh, playing with the Dallas Mavericks junior team. So there's some really good young talent, and because now the NBA has got these two Japanese players in the NBA and, and possibly a third they're starting to put their uh, links into Japan you know, 100, what, 100, about 125 million people mm-hmm. live in Japan so there's a real market now coming for basketball in Japan and, and being pushed by the NBA and, and the formation of the B League and they've got really uh, grandiose goals and you know it's a good time to be here because of the growth and it's great and, and, and all that way and financially um, for me as a head coach it, it's it's been much better than I've ever been able to get in Australia so yep. there's that side of it as well uh, but do I miss the NBL? you betcha you know I try and watch every game and you know and I particularly watch uh, you know the young players we had in Townsville now and how well they're doing in the NBL and, you know you often sit back and you shouldn't do it it's, but you do you sit back and think well what could have been if we'd been able to keep those kids all together but so you, you know I miss that and I, I, I miss you know, we, we miss home often. You know, it's uh, it's not like when I lived in New Zealand. Um, you know, you could talk to everyone, and you know, there's a lot of similarities between mm-hmm. Australia and New Zealand. Although all my Kiwi mates all disagree with me. Um, living in Japan is different, so you do get homesick at times. But uh, yeah, we, we we talked a lot about it, and we're still getting more and more settled. And obviously, we can converse with the locals a lot more, and we're finding it uh, that we're really enjoying it a lot more. So you know, you never say never. But at this stage, uh, I think it would take a lot for me to come home mm. uh, you know and, and, and you know as you said you never know in basketball yeah. either as I say every coach is just waiting to get fired <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you can lose your job at any time in this, yeah. in this business so but, you know, the goal is right now to probably stay here for a bit longer but you're always open to discussions about anything but touch on that Townsville team especially that last season where um, as you know I work closely with you as well so I got to know a lot of the guys on that team but Mitch Dalton's about to play his 200th game in the league and it's remarkable to think that back when you were coaching him he was the youngest ever captain of the Crocs and, and he celebrated that, yeah. that 100th game during that season I think when you when you were well and truly short-handed yeah. with that, that win in Melbourne but if you have a look at the other members of that team Nick Kay's gone on to be a superstar and even at the World Cup he was he was unbelievable Clint Steindl's now a championship winner and, and, and an experienced player in the league great to see Mirko Jerry back in the in the league this season with, with the Taipans Harry Froling even's gone on to yeah. you know be, be knocking on the door to become an NBA player now and, and even some of your reports yeah. Jordan Jordan Jett recently was as recently as last year was back back in in the league. Brian Conklin was back in the league last season as well, and you know someone like Mitch Young only just just retired as well. A lot of those guys on that team have gone on to to great things, and you must be proud to see see what a lot of them have been been able to achieve. Obviously, you know, the, particularly the three in um, in, in Perth. Uh, you know, it's just phenomenal what they've achieved. Um, you know, when to watch the growth of Nordo as a leader, which we always knew he was going to be. You know, to me, he's the heir apparent to, to probably take over the captaincy at Perth from, from Damo when yeah. Damo decides to step down, you know, and, and he's doing a great job. And, and Nick Kay, I don't know, I, I guess I probably chased him the hardest when he was a rookie because he just seemed to me to always be that guy that once he worked out what he needed to do to succeed, he was able to do it. And I, I, I 
the World Championship showed that. You know, he had a slow start to the tournament, but by the end of it, he was how anyone can criticise his selection is, is more ironic to me mm-hmm. because he just got better and better and better because he's so smart. You know, he's probably he's probably one of the smartest players I've ever ever coached. So he, he works things out very quickly and how he can with his skill set compete. And you know, and that's why you know there's talk of him now could he play in the NBA? Well, yeah. I think he could play a role in the NBA because he's so smart and he'll work it out he'll find a way to make it work and then and Clint was always just a great shooter mm-hmm. you know and, and a guy that you you just had to encourage that it's okay to keep shooting son and, and you know we really worked hard to get Clint and, and you know again he gets some unfounded criticism and I'm like you kidding me every time he walks on the floor you have to go and that creates space you know and guys like Bryce Cotton and all that get a lot of the kudos for how good Perth are but guys like Clint Stein or create that space for those sure. guys to play one-on-one rather than have to play one-on-two all the time. You know, and then, you know, and the, the player that we really perfectly agreed to was Mitch McCarron and, you know, he's gone on to bigger and better things yeah. as well. So, yeah, you look at all those and uh, it just, and, you know, you just think it could have been, well, it would have been special. That would be the biggest challenge would have been, you know, keeping that team sure. together because, you know, um, it's, it's no secret that, that Perth, when Perth decided they wanted Nick Kay and Mitch Norton, they made sure they were able to get them. Yeah. And that would have been our biggest challenge is, you know, keeping that, trying to keep that thing together. Uh, but it would have been a nice challenge to have. Your coaching journey is remarkable, and it was on the back of almost a 200-game playing career in the NBL as well. But I imagine until you got to Perth, it was probably difficult to make a living out of coaching as much as you were basically <laughs> working full-time. Has the last... I guess the last ten years made some of that hard work in the in the first fifteen or sixteen years. Has that paid off a little bit for you because you put in a lot of the, the hard yards where you now can't, like you said, you are now making the the best living that you ever have from from basketball. Yeah, look, you know, very very few people are lucky just to walk straight into coaching. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's literally I go back to you know I was lucky initially. Um, I had the coaching ranks under Tom Wisman while I was still playing in Newcastle and then I became his full-time assistant and then I took over as head coach of Newcastle and you know at the time everyone thinks you're ready and I look back on that and go that was probably the biggest mistake I made in my coaching career I was not ready to be a head coach and uh, it really it really woke me up about what I needed to do and you know I I don't know people know but I would go to you know NITP camps and sleep on the floor you know things like that I, I just you know, I, I read an article about Nick Nurse saying he just did everything he could to try and become a better coach, and mm-hmm. that was what I did. And, and literally in New Zealand, when I was coaching New Zealand, I was pulling beers in the off season to mm-hmm. make ends meet. And you know, it's 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 what you've got to do. You've got to do the hard yards. And I think that's where some ex players think I've become an assistant coach, and they find out how hard and how much work there is to it, and they don't want to do that. You know, they don't want to go through that again. They did that as a player, and now they're going to have to do it as an assistant coach. And uh, but you've got to do it. And if you can hang in there, you know, to me the, the rewards are not about financial. The rewards is what we just spoke about. When you look back at the, the people uh, that you've crossed and, and the, the contacts and friends you've made that are lifelong, and when former players ring you and you know, tell tell you some exciting news or, or things like that, they're, they're what really drives you. And when you watch young kids um, go on, you know, and, and succeed, and you know, the, the, the people you touch along the journey is what really drives you and keeps you going and you know, now you end up in a situation like this uh, you know it's you know you feel very blessed and lucky uh, but like with all coaching jobs it's also extremely volatile mm-hmm. and you, know, you don't know how long you're going to have it so you just the joy of it is just focusing in on, on the relationship aspects and, and trying to help young young men develop not just on the court but off the court and, and yeah. watching them grow as humans and as basketball players 
just finally, um, sorry to have kept you so long already, but look, look, looking back 10 years, was the move to Perth the best decision that, that you ever made, not only in a basketball sense to reconnect with Bevo yeah. and, and join up with the Wildcats, but I don't think you would have met Lani if you didn't, if you didn't make that move? No, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. Um, by far, it was the best coaching decision I ever made. You know, I had a, I had two choices. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, how that all worked out. I, I, I was coaching Hawks Bay in New Zealand. I'd been there for seven years. Yeah. And I sort of felt I'd achieved everything from a personal point of view at Hawks Bay, and I probably could have stayed there. You know, it was virtually a lifelong job. You know, we had a really good program running, and, and interesting, recommended Paul and I take over that job. And I, Paulie and I were talking about it just not long ago um, when he was in Japan with the Tall Blacks went up and caught up with him and you know that we got him into coaching he took over for me and I, I made a decision to leave New Zealand I was like you know what I'm just going to, I'm going to have to go back and sacrifice and try and get back into the NBL because I'm not going anywhere here and I moved to New Zealand to prove that I could coach a program and win and, and I was able to do that and, and within about two or three weeks of stepping down from the New Zealand job um, and making that decision I had a, an offer to go to back home to Victorian country and coach the NIT Peak program and then Bevo rang me and said oh Mark Radford's going to Adelaide mm. you know I want you to come over and, and meet with Nick and you know I met with Nick and, and as, a, as a when I was a player it was always a dream to be part of the Wildcats program you know and then when you're a coach you, you look at the Perth Wildcats program from the outside and it's just amazing and so to have that opportunity um, and, I, and I always wanted to you know I love coaching development but it was always a dream to get back to the NBL and when I got that opportunity to go to Perth um, it was a no-brainer it was the easiest decision of my life you know to, to make and, and yeah it really transformed my well not transformed it really uh, accelerated the situations I was in in terms of coaching and allowed me to move forward and, and get op- other opportunities and that's that's what working for an organisation like Perth does and you know I'm forever grateful for my time there obviously forever grateful and the friendship with Bevo is phenomenal and uh, but also forever grateful to Nick Marvin and uh, some people don't like him but I found Nick uh, great to work for he was a hard taskmaster mm-hmm. um, you know and he really helped me in a lot of areas of, of, of growth in a, in a personal way and, and that's something I'll, I'll be forever grateful for. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the way I first connected with you as well and I'm, I'm glad that we've been able to keep our connection going for, for this long because like I said at the start, you, you're just one of the most genuine people that you can never come across. I've always had a had a great time talking to you wherever we've managed to catch mm. up and you've always been a great supporter of mine as well. You've done a lot to help me over the years so always appreciate that and I'll always, always do whatever I can to help you in return. If you ever need anything and Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll make sure you reconnect with with Sean at some stage as well. But but Sean, thanks very much for joining us, mate. Always a pleasure. You know, I love talking about the game, and you know, I, I think you know, as I said, a lot of people see me as this angry guy on the sidelines. But as as Lani knows, away from it, I'm you know, my favourite thing to do is to jump in the van and head push and yep. disappear. So I'm the most laid back guy away from the game you've ever seen. But it, yeah, when I enter the rectangle, I become a different person. Uh, but thanks. Thanks for having me on and you know, thank you to Sean and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just great to see what's happening with the NBL in Australia and great to watch from afar. This interview is proudly brought to you by ID Athletic, West Australian-owned company providing all of the sports that you can ask for with their uniform needs, whether it's on-field, whether it's your polo shirts, your jackets off off the field. ID Athletic will have you covered, whether it's basketball and they're well-versed in, in that, whether it's SBL, local clubs, social clubs, BWA clubs, whatever you are, wobble clubs. Basketball gear is, is their specialty, but also... 
as, as some of the footy codes now prepare to start their pre-season, check out idathletic.com and you can find some special deals for your footy pre-season gear, all your training shorts and singlets and everything in between. Just mention Basketball Hustle when you get in touch with the team at ID Athletic. Always a terrific turnaround in terms of customer service, a four-week delivery which will which will have you well and truly satisfied. So check out idathletic.com and support one of our great sponsors here on Basketball Hustle. Big thank you to Sean Dennis for taking so much time out of his hectic schedule in Japan coaching right now to have a chat to us here on Hoop 7's Basketball Hustle. And now, Sean, fourth quarter segment, you're able to catch up with Mitch Creek before the game last Friday in Perth. He's got a fascinating journey to talk about. Spent time, obviously, in the past 12 months with a couple of stints in the NBA at the, at the Timberwolves and, and the Brooklyn Nets. Played some terrific G League basketball at the Long Island Nets, playing for Will Weaver, the, the now Kings coach. And obviously before that, he played 197 games at the Adelaide 36ers and had a terrific career there. But since coming back, played for the Boomers at the World Cup and now is a key part of everything that the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix are doing. And you were able to catch up with him to chat basketball and a couple of other things that, which might catch some of our listeners by surprise. to the season for yourself and the Phoenix. What's been the key for you guys so far? Uh, I think it's just a camaraderie and the mateship has developed already. Uh, everyone got in extra early. We had guys come in probably a month or six weeks even earlier than expected um, than your traditional pre-season. Uh, but it was easy. We didn't have any hangovers from previous years. Of, you know, this is what our standard is. This is what to expect. It was we had some of the most you know, genuine leaders in the competition, Ben Nation, myself, Ty Wesley, Adam Gibson. Um, you have these guys come in and, and you know set the record straight. This is how we're going to play. This is the mentality we're taking in. This is the expectation. And from there, it's been really easy because everyone's kind of followed along. We've all helped each other and we've all helped build what the culture is today. Yeah, last season, you spent a bit of time in the NBA. How did you find that experience? Yeah, I mean, it was just you know an absolute wealth of experience for me. Um, confidence just to be out on the court with some of those guys. To be around some of the greatest basketball players and you know, even better than that, some of the greatest basketball minds and coaches and development guys in the league and in the world ever. Um, you know, those moments are priceless. So you try and absorb as much information as possible and you try and carry it over to help your teammates and yourself every you know, every single day. So um, for me, you know, I you know, whether I played two minutes a game or whatever it was I average over there, um, it's just the things you see and you hear that really help you. And was there anything that surprised you about NBA life and then the game over there that you learned when we, when your time over there? Um, yeah, there's not much rest. Um, if you're a guy that's coming at the end of the bench or you're not playing a whole bunch of minutes, um, it is really cutthroat. It is obviously really um, competitive. Uh, you have to sacrifice your body and your rest. And, um, you know, some of the, the big players get to go and sleep in and, you know, roll out before the game and go through their, their routine. But... Um, as a guy coming to the very end of a bench or maybe not even playing, you've got to be up at 9 a.m. working out the injured guys and you've got to do your own individuals and you go into you know, the game and you're traveling and then you play and then you get on a plane and everyone goes home and goes to sleep and you're back in the next morning at 8, 9 o'clock in the morning doing the exact same thing. Um, so it is it's, it's a very taxing, grueling, um, you know, cutthroat um, you know, league. But at the same time, if you do break in, um, you know, what you get from that is, you know, dreams come true. And who had the most impressive car that showed up at training? So? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think uh, Demario Carroll had a Hellcat that was absolutely pimping. Uh, some of the boys had some nice ones. I know uh, Kato Beats Diop uh, went out and bought himself a brand new Porsche. 
uh, right as I was leaving. So he got that new paycheck and went out and spent half by the looks of it. So it's safe to say you you didn't have the nicest car on the team at that stage. No, I had a, I had a brand new donated Jeep given to me by the team. I didn't have to pay for anything. Who approached you the most NBA-wise as a, as a player out there on the court? Oh, mate, um, there were so many. I mean, you look at the likes of Giannis, who I could even be last year. I got to guard him for probably 15, 20 minutes, and that was just an experience that you get to enjoy and you get to really um, grasp onto and, and really go after. Like, I enjoyed every second of it. Um, the charm's running down, and you're just thinking, like, what is his weakest point? Like, how can I make him the least effective player as possible? And that's what you're thinking. Then after the game, you're watching the highlights, and you've got family going crazy. Oh, my God, you got it in, blah, blah, blah. And you don't think of it like that, but... He's probably, for me, the, the number one guy. Um, him or, or probably Westbrook, he's just for, for openness and tenacity of how he attacks the game was um, second to none. Awesome experience. And there, there's a rumor out there that you might be training a magpie. Is this true? <laughs> yes, yeah, Swoops has uh, become part of the culture. <laughs> the boys seem to like him. And uh, they came around for a barbecue the other day. I put on a bit of a spread and um, they were pretty shocked. Even John Robinson. Try to hand feed the magpie as well. So um, Swoops is very much a part of uh, the Creek family now. Well, I might have to hire you in the off season. <laughs> There's a magpie that attacks my son every time he gets on a, a bike on our street. So Mitch Creek, thanks for your time. Good luck in the game today. Fun to see your development, and uh, I'm sure you'll be back in the NBA soon. All right, thanks. Big thank you to Devlin's for bringing us this week's fourth quarter segment. Check them out at 411 Hay Street, Subiaco. But even more importantly, devlinsonline.com.au. Simon Devlin, a fantastic supporter of basketball here in Perth, but a fantastic supporter of basketball hustle now as well. And he's had a store that's been in business for over 20 years, has a huge range of men's products, everything from glasses to pens to cufflinks to luggage, and of course, his, his world-famous cigars, and even more famous is the customer service that he provides at Devlin's in Subiaco or devlinsonline.com.au. Make sure you support the sponsors that are supporting us. Thanks very much there to Mitch Creek for catching up with you, Sean, for the fourth quarter segment. Um, terrific for him to give up his time. And also the old swoopsy there is Magpie. Sounds like he's becoming a bit of a hit there in, in Melbourne since he's come back. Well, I'm not sure if you could, you could hear it there, but when he started about talking about swoops, the rest of his teammates were shooting around before the game. They all stopped and, and were listening to what Mitch Creek and, and had big smiles. So it sounds like he's a big hit with that <laughs> club and uh, maybe he can be the one that spurs him into uh, – reaching the finals in the inaugural season for the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. So it's uh, it was great to catch up with Mitch. Absolutely. And great for him to do it pre-game as well. So thanks a lot to Mitch for that. I hope you enjoyed the fourth quarter. Thanks to Devlin's. Check out devlinsonline.com. And now we move straight into a preview for round five, Sean. We've got plenty of matches to look forward to. All gets underway Thursday. Back in Auckland, Spark Arena, New Zealand Breakers. They need a win. They're one and three. Cairns Taipans, they're in some pretty good form. They've won two of their last three. And this is, this is their last road game for almost a month. So they'll be looking to return home with some good momentum. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Both teams are, you know, desperate for a win. I think New Zealand Breakers, to me, it seems like they're starting to kind of figure figure things out and, and, and I expect them to get a win as we saw against uh, Illawarra last year or last week. Um, there at Spark Arena, it seems like Thursday night is mm-hmm. going to be a an, an entertaining night there in Spark Arena, and I expect the you know seven thousand strong that they got potentially last week. Hopefully, they get that this week to uh, get them over the line. Friday night, just the one game on Friday night this this round. Brisbane Bullets. Let's hope they get a better crowd as well. 
at, I think it's Nissan Arena now. They've got a naming rights sponsor um, at the Netball Centre there in, in Brisbane. Play the Perth Wildcats, who, who are coming off a pretty impressive doubleheader weekend. It's a, a tough one for the Bullets, who need to find some form. Yeah, they do. And, you know, the Perth Wildcats got a stretch of four games away as yep. well now, too. So this is important for them. They don't play again back in, in Perth until the 17th of, of November. So they're going to want to try and get some wins. We know they had some struggles in the middle of the season last year. So, but, but important, I think, for Perth just to get that confidence and get some wins on the road. In Brisbane, this is a, a you know, they, they need to be able to turn around their form and uh, get some cohesion out there on the court and, and figure out if, if these, uh, if their imports are, are the right ones as well for them. Then on Saturday, got the second throwdown. As you said, Southeast Melbourne, they've got a terrific run in their first 10 games of playing nine of them at Melbourne Arena. They get to take on Melbourne United. Gee, this is a big game for United, especially if they lose this and slip to one and five, and they've lost twice already to the Phoenix. That's that's a horrible way to start the season. And as we'll see, they then have another game later this round against the Kings too. Yeah, I, I, it is interesting that they've played uh, already twice yeah. uh, in the first five five rounds, um, you know, starting a bit of a rivalry there. I think Melbourne will get this one. I think that they're going to be pretty desperate, you know, not having to travel. I just think that they, they would have learned a little bit from that first game against Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, probably make some adjustments how they're going to guard uh, Roberson and Creek. And, uh, you know, I expect Melbourne United to uh, figure out and come up with their second win of the year. Second game on Saturday, I imagine the biggest crowd at Adelaide Entertainment Centre that we've seen over the first their first three home games at their new venue when the 36ers host the Sydney Kings. Obviously, Jerome Randall up against his former team once again, as we saw in round one. Let's hope that Deshaun Taylor plays as well for the Kings because that adds another level of intrigue to the contest. But this one, this one's tough to tip because the Sixers have been pretty good at home so far. Yeah, and you just think Sydney's had a, a really good start. You know, sometimes you, you feel a little bit overconfident going in. Adelaide's a tough place. I, I've never played at their new arena, but I imagine it's even um, even tougher than the older one. And uh, in, in especially a big crowd with Bogut coming in, Casper uh, Ware coming back uh, to play in Adelaide. I think it, it should attract a big crowd. So I think Adelaide will get this one um, and, and hand Sydney their first loss of the year. Another big game on Sunday as well. Not not quite in Auckland either. So the Wildcats have got some extra travelling to do to take on take on the, the New Zealand Breakers. Both teams coming off having played earlier in the rounds as well. With with the Breakers having a bit of travel to do from Auckland to head 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 a bit further. I think it's south. And then posting the Wildcats always a terrific rivalry, and be fascinating to see their first battle of the season against one another. Yeah, well, I think Perth will get the one against Brisbane on Friday, but I think New Zealand's going to get this one on Sunday. And and knowing that this game is not just in Auckland, they've got to go down to Invercargill yeah. and play down south there as well. So play Friday, travel all day Saturday, and then and then play Sunday in New Zealand and the time zone Pretty difference start, there yeah. as well. It's uh you know th- there's a lot of factors, and as well as Perth is playing, and they they do have Bryce Cotton, but it is tough to to, to play over New Zealand and and, and being. That, that time zone difference. So I think New Zealand breakers, and they'll be, they're still desperate to get back into that that top four. So I, I think New Zealand will get that one. Yeah, all of a sudden, like you said, if they can get these two wins, they're back to two and three. And I think you would take that start if you were the if you were the breakers, given you had had the trip to, to America to, to start things off with as well in between. Yeah, new coach, a lot of new players. Yep. Um, obviously, uh, in, you know, a young point guard, talented point guard in RJ Hampton. So there's a lot of things that they've kind of, had to figure out on the fly, but yeah, if you can, if they can start three and three, 
I think that's not a, you know, keep them in contention. Um, that's not a, a bad result to start the start the season. And you've tipped against the Wildcats again. They might not let you back into our RAC Arena for that November 17th game, Sean. Well, from my understanding, Pike, has any team gone undefeated in the NBL? No. No. So they're going to lose some. <laughs> I know this is just, I mean, we're talking about professional players here. There's not a whole lot of difference in there. And it's its just tough to be on your game every night in and night out. And, I, you know, just put on my own personal travel um, with the NBL. You, you, it, some games are just harder to win than others. And no matter how hard you try and get yourself ready, the other team uh, being at home rested, it's a, it's a tough, tough ask. Yeah, but being rational, I'm not sure if that goes hand in hand with the Red Army all the time, Sean. So you'll have to, you'll have to take what you, what you can get with them. Um, also on Sunday, Illawarra Hawks, Brisbane Bullets in Canberra. Um, so probably not much of a home court advantage for the Hawks, but massive game for both teams. They both need to win this. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, uh, Illawarra having to travel to Canberra. I, I played a couple games in Canberra. The, the atmosphere wasn't fantastic. Um, so I'll be interested to see what kind of crowd support they do get there. But I actually think Brisbane um, will get this just because of the losses that Illawarra has um, and the injury concerns there um, could could make it tough. Although the, the, the I guess the kicker there is Brisbane's playing their second game yep. of the round as well. So um, Illawarra might be fresh, but I just think, you know, losing Josh Boone, Aaron Brooks is going to make it tough. Jesse Wagstaff won't like you talking down Canberra too much. <laughs> well, I think there's a reason Jesse Wagstaff is living over here in Perth now, right? <laughs> possibly, possibly. Um, last game of the round, Monday, massive game. Melbourne Cup, Eve in Melbourne. Melbourne United playing Sydney Kings. Casper Ware's first reappearance back in Melbourne against United. Obviously, he led to a championship two years ago and to the grand final last year. A lot to look forward to about this game. A chance for Melbourne United to make a statement that they're, they're back in the mix, but a chance for the Sydney Kings to really make another statement too and, and make life really tough for Melbourne. Yeah, this is this is an interesting one, intriguing one. It's a tough weekend for Sydney. I mean, great start for them, but this is going to really test them. Can they go on the road to Adelaide and Melbourne and get wins? I'm really excited for this matchup on Monday because I feel like these are probably two most talented teams in the competition. You might have the Wildcat fans uh, getting upset at me, but if you look at it from just a pure talent point of view, I think these two teams um, are, are the are the best out there. And uh, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see how this one plays out. I'm going to tip Melbourne here being mm-hmm. at home. Um, and uh, I'll be interested to see the reception that Casper Ware mm-hmm. receives when uh, he gets announced there at Melbourne arena. Similar to the, similar to the breakers. If Melbourne is able to get both these games, like you've tipped suddenly to be three and four, given the way they've started and they still haven't seen Casey Prather, I reckon you would take that if you were Dean Vickerman. Well, I don't think it's, you know, for the talent that that team has, starting three and four is probably not the the best um, that many would have predicted. But considering you're one and four, if you can get these two wins against two good quality oppositions, you know, Sydney sitting top, Southeast Melbourne's sitting third. So it's a it's a good test for Melbourne, and um, the fact that they get to play both games in Melbourne is uh, should be beneficial to them. And we'll see. Uh, you know, if they do lose both, then what happens? I mean, you could be potentially one and six. I mean, that's cool, yeah. that's that, has there ever been a one and six team go on to make uh, make the finals? Uh, we'll have to uh, maybe. Ask the question to Statman this week and yeah, see if that's a 
that, that that's ever been done. Well, we'll find out because this is a massive, massive weekend to look forward to, Sean. And this was a massive episode. Thanks a lot for your insight in, into everything happening in the NBL at the moment. Thank you for catching up with Mitch Creek as well. Thanks to Mitch Norton ahead of his 200th NBL game for having a chat to us. And thanks to Sean Dennis, NBL Coach of the Year, 200-game NBL player, coaching in Japan right now. He's a, he's he's put a lot into basketball over the last 30-plus years. So it was fantastic to, fantastic to catch up with him as well. Thanks always to Hoop7 for making this possible. Also to ID Athletic and to Devlins for helping us along along this ride. Um, we've got through five shows now, Sean. Let's hope every, everybody enjoyed tuning in. What can you leave our listeners with? Well, I think you make make a good point. You know, if you, if you enjoy the show, support our sponsor, Hoops Heaven, ID Athletic, Devlins. Um, they're, they're getting right behind us and, and allowing us to bring this, this show to you. If you got any questions also, mm. you know, post those to us on uh, on our social media accounts. We'd love to answer those. Might even have a little question and answer episode uh, down the track and, and answer uh, some of the questions that our fans have. Or if there's someone particular that you want us to interview, mm. let us know. We're, we're enjoying this and, and want to bring you guys the best show we can possible. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye, have a great time.